Hey, listen, one of the things that's happening in our culture is our culture is very loud. Culture is loud about its opinions. And for a long time, the church has been silent on certain issues, issues that have a major impact in individuals' lives, in marriages, in families, in relationships. And the culture has been so loud. And I think we have a responsibility. It's an obligation, but it's also an opportunity to speak truth into some areas that we try to sometimes ignore. We try to pretend aren't there, but have devastating effects on who we are and are wrecking so many marriages, so many lives, so many families. We just finished Friday night and Saturday morning our first marriage conference. And if it, it was awesome, and if, and if you missed it, man, that sucks. I'd hate to be you. You, you want to sign up next time because we had a great time because of some great people in the room. We're in this study in Romans on Sunday mornings, and we're about to dive into chapter 6, but I'm going to wait and do that next week. But I do want to share a couple of verses from chapter 6 with you. They kind of set the tone for where we're going this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, for we, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, that's what Scripture says, yet so often, those of us that are followers of Christ there's still some things we struggle with, still some things we wrestle with. There's some areas where we don't feel like we're free at all. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, maybe somebody invited you, maybe it's your first time, maybe you're not sure what you believe about Jesus or church, you're going to get a very honest, transparent look at what we believe Scripture teaches and at the same time, the struggle that all of us deal with in life. I, I want to introduce some friends of me and Angie, somebody that I think is going to be very special to you by the end of our time together. Mark and Beth Dennison are right here. I want you guys to stand. Help me welcome them. Give them a C3 welcome. Mark, I want to invite you to come on up. Mark, welcome, sir. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Pastor. Um, Mark, is, Mark and Beth together lead an addiction recovery, an addiction recovery ministry. And this morning, we want to talk about a subject that um, a lot of people wrestle with. And so we're going to spend the next few moments talking about the impact that pornography has on individuals, on couples, on families. And so, Mark, kind of to kick us off, tell us, tell everybody a little bit of your background. Love to. Thank you, Pastor. Really good to be with you all today, and I think the way you marketed this was really good. You didn't let them know who I was before I got here. That's good. That's good. That's good. My, my church, I pastored 30 years, should have done that. Um, I was a senior pastor for 31 years. Beth and I are both from Houston, Texas. And um, I was waiting for an applause for that. We're from Houston, Texas. Yeah. Yes. And uh, was not raised in a Christian home. Came to Christ through a bus ministry in a Baptist church in southwest Houston. At the age of 15, surrendered to a call to ministry. Began preaching at 17. Uh, we founded a church when I was 24 years old. We stayed there 18 years, pastored three churches over 31 years. But during those 31 years, was battling an internal addiction, a sexual addiction that nobody knew about. And without going into all the details of that, there are a lot of things that feed addiction. We'll get into some of that here this morning. But I didn't deal with it properly. I lived in a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, did not seek help because as a pastor, 
when you're struggling with these issues, it's pretty hard to just stand up in a deacon's meeting and say, I'm a sex addict. And so I, I didn't come clean until I was 53 years old. And that was uh, 2013, got into recovery, continued to pastor, was doing well in recovery, but my past became known by someone in the church who uh, exposed that. And so we resigned from the church in 2014 and moved to Florida to be near our son. We didn't know anybody here. We came and got an apartment in Bradenton, which is where we live and still, uh, not knowing anyone but our son and didn't know what we were going to do. I drove for Uber for a couple of years, delivered groceries. I'm not trying to impress you with my resume, but that's what I did. <laughs> and, um, and, and then God just started speaking to us and said, let your problem become your platform. We'll get into some of the data points and the statistics of how widespread this problem is. And so I went back to school and got a fourth degree. I already had a master's and doctorate in theology, but went back to school, got a master's degree in addiction recovery. We launched our ministry in late 2017. It's called There's Still Hope because we're convinced that for anybody, no matter how far you've gone, there's still hope. That's great. That's a great phrase. And that, that, that yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I deeply value and appreciate the courage, Mark, of you and Beth to talk about something that so many people just won't talk about and to be real and honest about it. Now, an obvious question that comes to mind and something that some of you may be thinking is, honestly, why, why is porn harmful? I mean, I'm not, uh, it's not like somebody's having an affair. It's not like, you know, and some people would even say, hey, my, my spouse or the person I'm dating, they know that I look at porn, they look at porn with me. Why is it harmful? Why, why are we even talking about this? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, if we read the media and follow what's happening, you, it's, it's become so mainstream now that uh, the vast majority would say that it's completely harmless. Um, the numbers of people, which we'll look at in a minute, that are doing this, even within the church, is astronomical. Uh, there are several reasons. One is the Bible is very clear when Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. And so we know from a biblical standpoint, when we objectify the opposite sex, that's wrong. The Bible says that. But beyond that, it's also addictive. No one ever does it one time. It's, it's an addictive thing. Uh, when you start looking at pornography, no one ever looks just a little bit, which is why that uh, Playboy magazine was put out of business basically by Internet pornography. It is so addictive and it is so progressive that more people are going to one website, and obviously I'm not going to tell you the name of the website, one pornographic website, and there are thousands of them, but just one. More people are going to that website every two days than looked at Playboy magazine in an entire year. And so we know that it's addictive. We know the Bible warns us against this. We know it's progressive. When you start looking at pornography, we know always, without any exception, it takes you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. No one ever does it a little bit and says, I'm done. It's progressive. It takes us into, I've got so many friends that are in federal prison right now because what they thought was an innocent uh, visit to a pornographic website, after a while, it didn't do it for them anymore, and so it took them into child pornography. And for every image that you view of child pornography, that's a federal offense because people can hack your computer from some other state, you've crossed state lines now, 10 years in prison for one image. And so it's progressive. We also know that um, sex trafficking is a part of this. 
the images of men and women and children that are put up on these websites, these are people that are being sex trafficked. And so when you participate, you're simply perpetuating the problem of sex trafficking. Mm. And another problem with just looking innocently at pornography is that most pornography is now becoming violent. And so it is not just that you're watching violence, but that is making, that is normalizing violent sexuality within our minds. And therefore, sexuality does not seem normal to us unless we're actually involving violence within the sex act in our own lives. So those are just some of the reasons that, that uh, pornography is a, is a bad thing. Now, if you're a Christ follower and you're looking at porn and you're thinking, well, I, I think it's okay. I, I hear all that, but it's not affecting me that way. I would just encourage you to do one thing, pray about it. Because this is what I've observed in the five years of our ministry. We've been all over the, uh, the country and talked to people from all over the world. We have known thousands of people, and I don't mean to, to be sarcastic, but I guess I do when I say this, but it's really true, who have said to me, as I prayed and sought the face of God, God led me to stop pornography. But I'm still waiting for one person to come to me and say, my spiritual life was just not where it needed to be, and I prayed about it. God said, you know what your problem is? You're not looking enough porn. You know, if you would just take up pornography, I think that would help you get to where you need to be sexually and spiritually. Of course, God has never told anybody that because there are so many reasons that it is wrecking our hearts, our spiritual walks, the church, and our families. Wow. So I've heard it said that pornography in the United States now is at an epidemic level. How bad is it? Like, how, how do you translate that? And, and, that's, and that's a hard question to answer because every statistic, every data point that comes out, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And so unless we've done a national survey in the last 30 seconds, we really don't know how bad it is. But the most recent data that we have confirms that in any given week that 62% um, of men have looked at pornography. Uh, forgive me, that's, that's within the church, 62%. Within the, the, the nation at large, it's 64%. So there's virtually no difference. So nearly two out of three are looking at pornography among men every week. And among women, who we tend to think, well, that's not a problem for women, but among all sex addicts under the age of 30, 40% of them are women and 60% are men. So the fastest wow. growing population that's looking at pornography is women. Now, pastor said a moment ago, leave the room if, if you don't want to hear certain things. And, and so hopefully they have done that. I'll give you an example of this, just one example. Beth and I were speaking at a church recently. A woman came up to me about 80 years of age, and she said, I need to talk to you about my masturbation problem. I said, I need you to talk to my wife about your masturbation problem. <laughs> I don't need to hear that. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear any 80-year-old person's sexual habits. <laughs> I'm just no. But, but it, it is absolutely through the roof. And we know the average person starts viewing porn at the age of 11. Uh, and so the, there are zillions of stats. At our table out here, we've got about 10 books that we've written. One of them is called Porn in the Pew. And it gives a lot of data points about uh, how bad pornography is within the church as well as at large. Wow. Wow. Um, for someone sitting here that thinks, I hear you, but it's just not that big a problem for me, um, how do you know the science? How do, how do you know if you're a sexual addict? How, how do you define that? That's a great question. Unfortunately, there's not a blood test. You know, you can't just look at a screen and it says, well, I guess I'm an addict. Because, and, and not to get hung up in the weeds here, but we fall into one of three categories. About 10% of the population would be classified as a sexual addict. 
Now, the APA, American Psychological Association, lists 166 different addictions. And so about 10% would be addicts. On the far other extreme, about 10% are basically non-sexual, meaning their sex drive, for whatever reason, is nearly non-existent. The other 80% would be somewhere in between. And so to know if you've really crossed over into, quote, addiction or not, it's not always easy. The simple test that we use is to say, do you find yourself repeatedly crossing your moral lines uh, and coming back to it with, without any success or freedom? Uh, for example, a person, we know they're a sex addict if they keep doing what they know is wrong. There's a cycle they go through, an addiction cycle that we'll talk about in a moment. And if we just cannot find ourselves getting off that crazy train, what will happen is a lot of people will say, well, I'm looking at porn every day, but I know I can stop. Uh, that's the enemy speaking to them, obviously. So if you find yourself returning to something, compulsive sexual behavior that crosses your moral lines or your spiritual lines repeatedly, and you keep doing that, that's just a real simple way of saying that there's an addiction. A really good sign that you're an addict is when you say you're not. That's what all addicts say. Step one in the 12 steps is admitting you have a problem. And so uh, it's always better to assume, if you're not sure, to, to overprescribe treatment for this than to underprescribe because uh, it's a huge problem. And if there's any question about it at all, you need to assume that you need help because most people do. Wow. So if that's the case, what does it take to break free? Like, you know, as a pastor, obviously, I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of people share things with me. I often get a, a front row seat to what is sometimes very private information. Um, and I have heard so many times over the years, and I've, I've just tried. I, I, I don't know that I can get free from this. How do you break free from this? That's a great question. You know, I've read a lot of books, been trained, a lot of education, a lot of credentials, but I always go back to Scripture for everything. And in Scripture, we find an answer there. I remember when I started going to 12-step meetings in 2013, I was doing a lot of things right, but still struggling to find lasting freedom. Uh, and there are so many ways to answer this, but I want to just take you briefly to John chapter 5. You're all familiar with the story of the paralytic. The man had been paralyzed for 38 years. He comes to the pool of Bethesda, and that's where he's healed. He's able to walk again. We know he had walked at some point before in his life. That's clear in the story. But for 38 years, he's paralyzed. So what happened to take him from I can't walk to I'm completely healed? Four things. Number one, he was desperate. We have to be desperate to break free of any porn habit. We know he was desperate because in John 5, 6, Jesus said, do you want to be well? And that Greek word want means is there a passion to the want? Because if you're 90% in, you're 100% out. Now, 62% of the men in evangelical churches are looking at pornography during, throughout the week. 37% of pastors are. The old Promise Keeper conferences is where uh, escorts would go to those cities because they knew they would get more business there than any place else. I mean, it's wow. stunning. And so, to be real, we know that within this group today, there are dozens and even hundreds that are struggling with this. You will never break free until you really, really want it. You've got to be desperate. The second thing is you must be surrendered. Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk, which made no sense at all. He could pick up his mat, but the man's paralyzed. He's laying there on the ground. He's on the mat that, on which he was carried by his friends that took him there that day, thinking he might be healed if he got in the pool of Bethesda. So Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. 
what would have made sense is if Jesus would have said, once you can walk, pick up your mat. But he said, go and pick up a mat that you can't carry anywhere because you can't walk yet, but once you do it, you're going to be able to walk. It made no sense. He had to surrender what Jesus said. And the way we like to say it is this. Until we do the improbable, God does not do the impossible. Until well, I that's, do what God tells me. Wait, wait, wait. Say, say that again. Until I do the improbable, God will not do the impossible. Wow. An improbable thing was for a Southern Baptist pastor to walk into a 12-step meeting and say, my name is Mark and I'm a sex addict. That was improbable that that would ever happen. Because yeah. I had to struggle for 30 years, but it took 30 years for me to say those words. But when I did the improbable, God does the impossible. I must mm. be completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ every single day. I have to do what he says to do. The third component is disclosure. Someone has to know your problem. Jesus could have healed this guy in the privacy of his own home, but he didn't. He let this guy get picked up by three or four friends, carried down, who knows how far, laid on the ground next to the water, so everyone there could see what was wrong with him before he was healed. Someone has to know my stuff. We have a friend that's done a, 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 a study on this out of Atlanta that found that one out of 10,000 people get free on their own. I've got to disclose this. Someone has to know my struggle. I have a sponsor within my own recovery. Someone has to know my stuff, disclosure. And the final component is community. The next day, the man's in church. You go read John 5, John 6. We've got to mm. be in community, which is why we offer groups in our ministry. We, we, I do seven groups every week for men. I've got a group just for pastors. It's my largest group. So those are the components. Without that, I've never seen anyone break free. Wow. I asked uh, Mark and Beth to bring some resources. And so when we dismiss after this service, there's a table out there. They'll be out there. And there are some resources that are going to be available. Because here's the reality. A, a lot of you may be dealing with this or, or maybe an issue in your life. But all of us know people that it's an issue in their life. You have a friend. You have a work associate. Some of you, you have someone in your family. You, you have someone that has talked to you. And so part of what we wanted to do today, when you leave today, you're going to get a card that has a QR code on the back. You can scan that. It's going to take you to a resource page on our website. And Mark and Beth's website is on there, where, how you can contact them. But even better than that, uh, they're going to be in the lobby. And you may, you may be thinking of somebody right now that has talked to you recently, that you can grab some of these resources because it's really going to be, you're, you're going to be tossing them a, a rescue vest, a, a life vest for something that's going on in their life. So what are, the, some of the, what are some of the resources that you guys offer? Appreciate that question. Thanks, Byron. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff back there. Um, one of the things we do, I write a daily devotion called Recovery Minute for people who struggle with addiction. Uh, when I started this list, we had me, my wife, and my son on the list. We have over 1,000 people now from all over the world that subscribe to this. And, you know, we'll never meet most of them this side of heaven. So we have a notepad. If you'd like to receive that, just give us your email address. We'd love to have that. We've written a lot of books. We have a book, the only book out there as far as I know, on sexual recovery that's a daily devotional book. I have 365 daily devotions on sexual integrity. Uh, so that book is available. I have a 90-day recovery guide for someone that wants to go through that program. I take guys through a 90-day intensive program. So the workbook is there. Uh, we have seven groups for men, have over 100 guys in these groups. Most of them meet by Zoom throughout the week. And the workbook for that is on the table. It's called the Life Recovery Plan. A huge component of ministry for us is the wife who's been traumatized by her husband's porn habit. 
And so Beth has authored a book. It's the best book on this subject for a spouse, for a wife who is struggling in this area. She starts two new groups tomorrow uh, for women who are married to sex addicts. So that workbook is available. We have a couple's workbook available as well. We're starting couples groups in a couple of weeks online. Uh, and some other books are out there as well. We've written a lot of stuff, Porn in the Pew. I have another book. This is really interesting called Broken Vessels based on Jeremiah and pastors who are broken and become broken vessels. Within that book, it's written just for pastors. I have 17 senior pastors from around the world who are in recovery that have told their story as a part of this book. Very brave men. Now, we didn't use their real name, of course, but Broken Vessels is there, and we'd love to just meet you and, and let you know more about our ministry. Uh, I have a lot of resources out there on the table. Uh, the books we have are normally $10, but today only you can get two for 20 bucks. That's just today only. So you know, you know that. Um, when, when I told Byron That's that, he awesome. bought three. He thought, wow, yeah. great. this is amazing. This yeah. Is a little bit of that yeah. Texas math. That's, That's awesome. Right. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have all these classes. You're in Bradenton. You guys are in Bradenton. You've got all these classes uh, or, or seminars or groups, really, to help people, but a ton of them are online. So even if you live in Orlando, you can access that kind of help. Yes. Um, tell us about something you, you wrote me about. Tell us about the addiction cycle. Yeah, some of you may be familiar with a guy named Patrick Carnes. He wrote Out of the Shadows, and he's got this addiction cycle thing he talks about that I just call the crazy train, where we just keep going in circles. And it's pretty academic. We've created our own way of saying this cycle, and this is how you can tell that you're really struggling. Uh, there are six things that happen, and it's really with any addiction, but especially with pornography or sexual addiction. I think it, I plan it, I do it, I hate it, I cover it, and then I go do it again. It starts with thinking it. I have a thought. It's a fantasy. It's a trigger. I'm driving down the street. I see somebody. There's something that comes into my mind. I didn't do anything wrong. I saw something on TV, but the trigger snaps. I, I think it. I plan it, which is known as euphoric recall for those that are active in an addiction. I play forward how this might look if I were to act on this. Pornography, prostitution, masturbation, however I'm going to act out. So I think it, I plan it, then I go do it, and every time after I do it, I hate it. I've got a friend who spent $100,000 on prostitutes throughout his life, and every time he paid a prostitute hundreds or thousands of dollars to come and visit him, as soon as the sex act was over, he would ask her to hurry up and leave, and she would say to him, but you paid me for the night, and his response was, I didn't pay you to come, I'm paying you to leave. I do not want to look at you anymore. I hate what I've just done. And then after we hate it, we cover it. We don't want anyone to know about it. And then we end up doing it again. So I think it, I plan it, I do it, I hate it, I cover it, and I do it again. And that cycle continues until we somehow break that cycle through that process I talked about a minute ago. I've got to be desperate. I've got to be surrendered. I've got to be in disclosure. I've got to be in community. Until I do that, that cycle will continue. I go to a 12-step meeting every week for my own recovery. And it breaks my heart to see dozens of men every week relapsing constantly because they never break free of that cycle. Wow. What is, what is that recovery pyramid? That's a, this is something that we've come up with that we call recovery pyramid that, that is um, integral to anyone really breaking free because what happens is that when we look at someone's action, and, and if you're a woman here today, 
and you're married to a man who has a pornography issue or you're a man married to a woman who has this issue, we always look at the act. Quit looking at porn, quit masturbating, quit looking at these online sites, quit meeting with a prostitute, whatever it is, we focus on that. But we created what we call a pyramid. So imagine a pyramid for a moment, and at the top of that, the very tip of that is the acting out behavior. And we make that the focus. And that's what most addiction recovery groups do. It's like, just stop doing the action. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. Beneath that, we've got four layers. The top layer is the act itself. The layer beneath that is the triggers. I need to ask myself, if I'm acting out, what is triggering that? We've created an acronym for that that we call BLAST, B-L-A-S-T. I tend to act out when I'm bored, when I'm lonely, when I'm angry, when I'm stressed, or when I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to recognize that if I'm acting out at 2 in the morning, which, by the way, this is interesting, more men look at pornography at 2 a.m. than any other hour of the day. And part of the reason for that is because they're getting up at 2 in the morning because they wake up or need to go to the restroom or whatever. It should be my age to do that at 2 and 4 and 6. And but anyway, that's another issue. But whatever the issue is, it's 2 a.m. I wake up. I'm groggy. I'm not really awake yet. I'm bored. I may be lonely. I may be angry. I may be stressed. I may be tired. So the, that's the second layer. Beneath that, there are three things on the third layer of the addiction pyramid or the, the recovery pyramid. And that's that we have got to see that there's a foundational issue going on that if we don't address, we're never going to break free. Behind every addiction, you're going to find, if you dig deep enough, three things. You're going to find abuse, trauma, and isolation. When I look into my own past, I find sexual abuse. I find physical abuse. I find trauma. I find isolation. And I won't get into all that, but if I told you my entire story, you'd say, oh, my gosh, that's crazy stuff. I mean, some horrific things, some very difficult things from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that feed the, um, the, the, the triggers. For example, if anger is your trigger, you're acting out because you're angry. We have to say, why are you angry? Angry is usually an expression of pain. So, and pain comes from the isolation, the abuse, or the trauma. The bottom layer beneath the surface is things you cannot see that take years to unearth, family systems, things with our parents, things that, that happen that we might not even understand, cultural issues, spiritual issues. And so rather than just attacking the top of that, our ministry helps people ask the why question, not just the what, but why are we doing this? That's really good. What, what about uh, you wrote about the intimacy period? What, intimacy yeah. pyramid, yeah. what is that? Well, here's, here's what happens, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking about marriages now especially, but this is in any relationship. So imagine that you're married to someone, and some of you are, some of you are not, but imagine for a moment you're married. And let's say that I'm the guy, and this is the, the woman over here, and this is my wife sitting in this chair, and I have invalidated her trust. I have committed a sexual sin. I'm living in a sexual addiction. And we know that at its root, all sexual addiction is an intimacy disorder. There is, it's an intimacy issue. It's not, it's not a sex issue. And so if I want to rebuild this relationship, I want intimacy with my wife, then there is a pyramid. And what happens is that men get really frustrated because they'll jump into recovery and they'll start doing the work. I'm working with 16 clients right now that I work with every week. And the frustration levels through the roof because they're like, man, I'm going to steps. I'm doing work. I'm getting sober. I haven't acted out in weeks or months. And yet the intimacy at home is still not there. Why is that? And the reason is that 
think again of, of a pyramid. For there to be intimacy, first there must be vulnerability. Until my wife feels like she can be vulnerable with me, there will be no intimacy. And that's true in any relationship. Think about a boss relationship with an employee. If, if she cannot be vulnerable, if I cannot be vulnerable, there can be no intimacy. But beneath that, there is no vulnerability until first there absolutely has got to be trust. I am not going to be vulnerable with someone I don't trust. We were talking last mm. night as we were having dinner with Angie and Byron about the fact that as pastors, it's hard to know who you can trust. I'm not going to be vulnerable with you and share with you my struggles as a pastor if I don't believe I can trust you. And that's true in marriage as well. But I'm not going to trust you unless I feel safe. I cannot trust someone until I think they're safe. And then the bottom layer is, in order to have safety, there must be truth, which is mm -hmm. why we, we facilitate disclosure. So within the sexual addiction relationship, the guy has got to come clean. The wife has to know absolutely everything. There's got to be truth before there can be safety. Once she feels safe, and only then can she trust, only when she trusts can she be vulnerable, only when she's vulnerable can there be intimacy. Wow. And so everything you're talking about, and this is important, everything you're talking about and what you guys do, you've seen this work over and over and over again. Th this actually works. Yeah, it actually works. And, and, and in fact, I'll tell you, not, not to brag on me, but, but to brag on Christ, it, it's really interesting. I've got a group of men that I meet with every week in Bradenton on Monday nights. We started this group a year and a half ago, and they've been with me that time. It's a one-year group, but none of them have left. We just, they just stay together. Most of these guys are in a secular 12-step program as well, and I am too. I'm in that same group, and I just go in. I'm just a regular guy. They don't know what I do, most of them. I'm just in the group. So those of you that have ever been in a 12-step group know that we give out chips for a month of sobriety or two months of sobriety or three months of sobriety or a year of sobriety or whatever. Uh, within the secular group that I'm in, the SA group, Sexaholics Anonymous group, there's about 30 guys. On a given week, about 10 of those are in my freedom group that are working my program as well. When we get to the end of the meeting and they give out chips for sobriety, I started doing the math. 80% of the guys that are getting any chips at all are in my program. So two-thirds of the guys are not in my program, and very few of them, even though they're finding some level of success, it's very limited. And, and, and you say, well, why do you go to the group then? Because uh, we believe 12 steps work, and we want to be a witness for Christ there. But the struggle there is that in a 12-step group, you have to acknowledge a higher power. Seven of the 12 steps talk about a higher power. But until you know your higher power is the Lord Jesus Christ, you're always going to struggle. And biblical principles trump anything man has ever come up with. Well, that's good. That's good. You mentioned a moment ago that um, children are exposed to pornography now at around 11 years old. Yeah. For parents in the room, that, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do we do? For, yeah. for parents sitting here, how do we protect our home? How do we protect our kids? What do we do? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and that ought to be on the forethought of all of our minds. You know, they're, uh, because the average child is looking at porn by the age of 11, I spoke to a junior high, Christian junior high recently, and I asked them, they're all 12, 13 years old, how many of you have looked at porn this month? Every single hand went up. And so parents should be terrified by that. Uh, if it's okay, the person who's better equipped to answer that is my wife. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Give her a hand. That's my wife. Beth. Yes. 
please. Well, thanks. Um, it is a terrifying subject, and, and I understand and appreciate why, and this happens, um, it happens at all churches. We're going to talk about this subject, and so any child under the age of, you know, whatever, we want them to, out of the room, and, and I understand that. But let me tell you, society does not do that. <laughs> society does not mind pushing this stuff down our kids' throats, and it's all around us, and so we have to be prepared. There is a great organization called Defend Young Minds, and they put out a lot of material and resources to help parents know how to deal with the issue. And the biggest thing I would say is um, don't address the situation as trying to protect them from pornography. They are going to see pornography. The best thing you can do is equip them on what to do when they do see it. To, to take the approach is I'm just going to stick them in a bubble and keep them from ever seeing it is just being naive because as mm. best the job you can do, they've got friends at school that have a iPhone, they're going to go to somebody else's houses, they're going to see it at church camp. I mean, somewhere where there's a device, they are going to be exposed to it. So the best thing that you can do is to prepare them for when they see it. And the way we can do that is normalizing the discussion around what healthy sexuality is. Mm -hmm. We spend so much time talking about what we shouldn't do, what we need to be doing in the church and in our families is talking about what God's design is for healthy sexuality and mm. how the pornography is contrary to that and why it's contrary to that, given mm. those resources and, and equip them for what to do when they do see it. You need to have such an open communication with your child that when they are exposed to it, you let them know, whenever you do see this, I want you to feel free to, to tell me. Then when they do come and tell you that they've seen it, You've got to be calm and don't freak out. Uh, you know, don't shame them for it. Shame drives that, um, that cycle that Mark talked about. But you want to be able to just calmly explain why it's, you know, why it's damaging, why we want to stay away from the dangers of pornography. But don't shame them. You don't want to punish them. You just want to put blocks in place and resources to help them. There are some great filters you can put on your devices. There's a group called Covenant Eyes that would be great for everybody to have on all devices that, that monitors those kinds of things. Um, and there's a great group called VidAngel. And what they do is they, um, they filter movies, any kind of programming that you, you, know, say, you see that there's this great show that everybody wants to watch, but there's some scene in it or there's words in it, and you just say, oh, we can't see that. VidAngel allows you to um, delete those words or delete certain scenes so you could otherwise enjoy the movie. But that's, a, that's another thing that can equip our devices for that. So a lot of great resources. That's awesome. And, and, and while you're here, if I could just ask one more question, because it's my understanding, Beth, that you also work with a lot of spouses yep. whose, whose spouse has come clean about a pornography issue and is talking about that. What would you say, just any basic, hey, if you're the spouse that has found this out, what would you say to someone in that position? I would say to you that you need to get help. You're wounded. You're broken. It's not your fault. You're broken because of the actions of someone else. And the main thing I would say is it has nothing to do with you. You did nothing to cause it. It's not about you. It is their issue. But you, unfortunately, have been wounded because of it. And you need to have someone you can walk through that with, get, get some resources, talk to someone, 
because it is very um, isolating and you feel like, who can I share this with? It's not like something you can discuss over coffee with someone um, because it just is so embarrassing and um, produces shame for, for the partner of someone who struggle with this as well. So I would say just get some support for you and learn how to walk through um, rebuilding your own uh, security system and uh, trust level in the relationship, but knowing that you can heal regardless of what they do. Uh, there are some that just never choose to get help, but you can heal regardless of what they do, and you should. That's awesome. Hey, would you help me thank these guys, Mark and Beth? Thank you so much. Y'all are amazing. And I want them to go ahead and slip out. Y'all go ahead and go to the lobby. You've got a table out there. And while they're headed that way, um, we've just begun a conversation. See, in the life of C3, when we say you matter, we mean it. And we recognize, for me, over three decades of ministry, I have watched the issue we talked about this morning destroy people. I've watched it destroy marriages. I've watched people belittle it and act like it's not a big deal, and their life explodes. Their marriage explodes. And so we really want to, in the life of C3, we always want to, to resource you, to live your best life. And part of the way we live our best life is by becoming better at life. And so in a few moments, we're going to be dismissed, and they've got a table out there with all these resources, and it may be some things that you're navigating. But again, these resources can be gold when you get them as a gift for someone that you know, for someone that's had a conversation with you, for someone that's, that's dealing with some, account, some of these types of things, because a Christian, biblical-based approach, listen, God knows how, how to live life in the best way, and God's advice works every single time. So we wanted to make all of that available to you this morning. And again, when you leave, you're going to get a card that has a QR code on the back. And you can find there some additional resources as well. You can find Mark and Beth's website link on there if you'd like to jump in one of the online groups maybe. But everything about this morning was how can we resource you with something because the culture has been so loud. And often the church is too quiet about issues that are destroying people's lives. So I want to invite you to stand with me. I'd like to pray for you, and then we're going to be dismissed. And before I pray, I, I do want to continue to thank those of you that are uh, consistently faithful and generosity. You are making a difference. We have seen in four months, just since January 1st, in four months, 85 people give their life to Jesus in this room. It's incredible what God's doing. And so when you invest in C3, you're investing in life change. You're investing in providing the resources for us to bring uh, Mark and Beth from Tampa and take care of them and provide a weekend where they can be a help to us in our lives and in the lives of people we know. There is a ripple effect that can happen from this morning as you and I get educated, as we grow personally, as we learn more, as we get some resources for friends. Listen, God can use this in a huge way. So when you give... You're connected to all of that life restoration and life change that God does through his people. And it is an honor to be your pastor and the kind of people that you are. So whether you text Seath Orlando to 77977 or you scan the QR code or you drop a cash or check in the give boxes, thank you for your generosity. I hope you have an amazing week. Next week we're back in Romans. Don't miss it. Invite somebody. God bless you. Have an incredible week. Be sure and check out the resources. Have a great week. Ooh.